0: The following audio drama is rated PG for pretty good. You should experience lots of explosions with no body parts and a couple of swears. Parents should be ready to cover their ears.
1: This is a can see audio production. Entertainment is always free. audio production presents, Doctor Who, the Sofa. Hi, I'm Stevie K. Farnaby, a.k.a. Skiffle, and I'm here aboard the TARDIS with, um, well, I'm with the Doctor. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Hello. Would you like a Jelly Baby? I'd love one.
0: <laughs> well, if I were a little bit closer, I could give you one.
1: <laughs> well, we have got a TARDIS. That's true. <laughs> we are aboard a TARDIS right now, so, you know, maybe perhaps you could just pop over.
0: Yeah, no problem.
1: Oh! Oh, and can you bring some of those edible, uh, edible ball bearings with you?
0: The edible ball bearings?
1: Yes. ah. <laughs> uh, oh dear it
0: looks like I've blown a dematerialization circuit
1: oh dear <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. like
0: really in touch with my, my fourth regeneration today man I, I'm totally I'm totally there oh that's cool <laughs>
1: yeah
0: this, this is a very 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 exciting time you know 50 years wow
1: <laughs> yeah that's huge um <laughs> So, starting this off with a really big question, um, how did you, Mark Kalita, uh, one of the longest running audio doctors on planet Earth, um, how on earth did you get, uh, how did you discover Doctor Who? Um,
0: believe it or not, it was, uh, it was my dad who got me started in Doctor Who. Okay. And... Um, You know, we might have touched on this a couple years back in in one of the earlier episodes of Behind the Sofa, but um, I think I was probably in around 5th, 6th grade. This would have been about 1980. Uh, Doctor Who was on public television here in Chicago, and it was on 5 o'clock. I was in grammar school, and I'd come home, I'd do my homework, sometimes I'd take a nap, and one day my dad woke me up, and he said, Hey, you've got to check out this TV show that's on Channel 11. And, um, you know, I watched it, and coincidentally, they had on Robot, Tom Baker's very first episode. So, um, you know, I sat up, and I'm watching this for a little while, and uh, I'm just checking out this this this, ro- this giant robot that looks kind of like he was made out of a bunch of, of garbage cans.
1: Probably, and, probably uh, because yeah. it was. <laughs>
0: And then uh, then the Doctor comes on, and it's Tom Baker with the wild hair and the big eyeballs and the giant teeth, and I'm just, I'm watching this show unfold, and I'm thinking, what kind of just low-budget, <laughs> cheap, crazy nonsense is this? Dad, you woke me up from a perfectly good nap to watch this garbage? Are you <laughs> kidding me? And, uh... You know, I'm like, don't don't bother me with this, but uh, it was on, I think, like, every day. And, um, you know, my dad would watch it, and every now and then I'd catch a glimpse, you know, in a semi-dose. Uh, I, I got to see glimpses of Cybermen and, and stuff like that. And it wasn't until a couple years later, when PBS had moved it to Sunday nights at 11 o'clock at night, that I kind of rediscovered it, and it must have just hit me at the right way. Uh, it was probably Genesis of the Daleks, I think, that was the first one that really kind of pulled me in, and, uh, I started watching it a little more clearly, and, uh, I don't know, something just kind of sparked my interest, so I started watching it every weekend, looking to see, okay, well, hmm, let's see what this is about, and, uh, they were going through the Bakers again, and they had Revenge of the Cybermen, Terror of the Zygons, and, uh, moving along like this, and uh,
1: before I realized it, I was fucked. Oh, that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you were talking about, um, I mean, what a great episode for you, to, what a great story for you to start with, Robot, you know? Yeah. And um, I think one of my uh, first memories of Tom Baker's Doctor, um, and his wild stare, and his big toothy grin was um, actually in Robot, when he actually, um, when he's seen him lounging in the back of Bessie. Mm -hmm. Um, Why a bullet. Memory serves, it's the brigadier who's driving Bessie, and he's lounging in the back of it. And and, uh, if that had been Pertwee, it wouldn't, you know, Pertwee wouldn't have had anybody else driving Bessie.
0: (laughs) Well, that was the thing. At the time, I had no idea who the heck John Pertwee was. I had no idea... (laughs) That there were three Doctors prior to Tom Baker. Wow. You know, the the closest I had come, um, there was a little bookstore at a mall near where we lived. Okay. And uh, we went through, and they had uh, some of the Doctor Who novels there. And uh, I remember looking at the covers of them. These were the, uh, the pinnacle versions. They had some really interesting covers to them. And, uh, they had them from a variety... It was mostly, it was Pertwee and Tom Baker Doctors. And I remember looking at those and uh, thinking, oh, those are sort of interesting. And, uh, you know, not giving it a whole lot of thought until later when I finally got pulled into to the series. We went back and uh, I said to my dad, I said, you know what? I want to get all these books. This guy is really interesting. But, uh, again, at the time, as I was reading them, I didn't realize... That, they, that the stories were split between two different doctors. So as I continued to learn about the show, and, and there weren't a whole lot of, of avenues to really learn about it. You know, there was no internet at mm-hmm. the time. So uh, I had to rely on, you know, the odd magazines or, or um, you know, bits that I heard from other people about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I started finding out that, uh, okay, this guy with the big long scarf he is not the first and it just ended up pulling
1: me in even further um, I mean for me um, obviously as, as you can all hear I'm English and so Doctor Who is kind of part of my culture and my first memories of Doctor Who were um, I think I, I kind of caught the back end of the Joint Pertwee era uh, leading into Tom Baker, and so it You know, for me, it it was, uh, even from a very young age, I've been interested in science fiction and uh, actually science fact as well. Um, So I've been interested in, you know, stuff that Arthur C. Clarke did. I'm fascinated by the space programs, the the various space programs across the world. Um, And I just remember just just seeing this mad eccentric man, you know, (laughs) and then when it moved into Tom Baker's era, he got even madder and even more eccentric and I thought this is great you know and one of the things I've always loved about the classic series is that they had no budget to work with um, they were working on literally trying to tell a story and they were stealing props from other TV sets and stuff <laughs> and they were making props out of all these household items and I'm thinking to myself man these guys are great because even the special effects guys they've got nothing to work with and so they had to get really creative with telling this story and of course Tom Baker was pretty much the ultimate in terms of drawing people in and connecting people with the show and uh, when I was a child there was um, Tom Baker was invited to my school fete, and he didn't come as Tom Baker He actually turned up as the Doctor, in full costume, um, in character, um, handing out jelly babies and doing yo-yo tricks and things, and it just brought me right into the show. Um, You almost felt like you were part of the show, because he actually brought this, you know, to the role, and that's really what sucked me in was when I actually met Tom Baker as the Doctor. Which was just the most amazing thing ever. And even to this day he still carries bags of jelly babies, in case somebody spots him in a local newsagent or something. Are you the doctor? Yes I am. Would you like a jelly baby? You know, which was an absolutely dreadful impression, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well see you're lucky, you know, having grown up in England mm-hmm. and having had Doctor Who is a part of your your culture. Mm-hmm. You know, you had much easier access to that than we did. Of course. You know, yeah. A lot of us, we had, we had no clue that this was necessarily going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm told some of the early episodes were were shown maybe in the, uh, in the late 70s, but it wasn't until the early 80s that I got in touch with them. Yeah. So, um, was, you know, it wasn't until, um, you know, we... So Doctor Who really seemed to kick off in the early 80s over in America that, um, you know, I really got a chance to understand just how big this phenomenon was. So around 81, 82, um, there was a convention going on uh, downtown and my dad took me to it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I started seeing, you know, they brought out some of the vintage merchandise and and magazines and that and uh, that was my first opportunity to really start connecting with uh, with what the show was about and its history and um, you know finally I think it was around uh, uh, freshman sophomore year in high school I went with my dad and a buddy of mine some school was having their own little miniature Doctor Who convention, and they were going to show actual Hartnell and Trout and Pertwee episodes, and I was just, I went nuts at the thought of finally being able to actually see these. So we had all gone and we gathered in this room with a bunch of other people. I don't think there were, there were maybe a hundred, 150 people in this entire mini-convention and they had the, the big giant VCRs that they used to have. And they had this regular, you know, it was like a 19-inch television. And all, and uh, a bunch of people clustered around, and they popped in the tape. And uh, they played uh, the Unearthly Child. And they played the Crotons from uh, Patrick Troughton's episode. Uh, don't remember if we stayed for the Pertwee, or not, if they did, it might have been Three Doctors. Mm-hmm. But those were the first times I actually got to see Hartnell and Troughton in action. And uh, I, was, I was hooked even more than others. I said, oh my god, PBS needs to get a hold of these. We gotta see more of them. And uh, thankfully, eventually, they did. And uh, I still have the VHS tapes to this day from when I taped them off a of TV
1: yeah I mean certainly sort of early 80s there was a a whole tour to the place with uh, John Pertwee and Elizabeth Sladen and the tour of the US because the BBC was trying to break America uh, with Doctor Who and uh, of course um, you know obviously it worked (laughs) Um, it was John Nathan Turner sort of organized all of that I believe memory serves. Uh, It's funny you should mention like watching um, Doctor Who at this mini exhibition at a local school. Uh, not long after we had Tom Baker turn up at my school, um, my headmaster actually managed to get hold of um, the two uh, Paper Cushion films and he had the film reels actually at the school and um, broadcast them, well he actually showed them to the, um, to, to the whole school as part of an assembly. Uh, Ooh. And that was cool because, um, again, Peter Cushion's take um, on, on the character was very, very different to, quite honestly, it was very different to any of the other Doctors. I know he's supposed to be the big, the big screen version of William Hartnell's Doctor, but I don't actually think he was anything like William Hartnell's Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of like, uh, you know, almost like a favourite grandfather figure. Sure. Whereas Hartman mm-hmm. was much more sort of cantankerous, um, you know, even at times quite aggressive as well, you know. So. My,
0: my, um, my dad had mentioned seeing, you know, um, a Doctor Who comic book, and uh, in the 1960s, mm-hmm. uh, Gold Key produced the comic based on Doctor Who and the Daleks with Peter Cushing. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one rainy day in the early 80s, my dad and I were walking, and first I don't remember where we were, but we found a flyer that there was a local theater, <clears throat> the Facets Multimedia Theater, that was it. They were doing a showing of the two Peter Cushing Doctor Who episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just so, so excited about it, because I'd, I'd heard about it. And I wondered how did Peter Cushing fit in to this this whole line of other doctors in the BBC series right so Dad and I we went over to the theater and we went in there and uh, and we sat we saw these back to back and I was just I was amazed I was delighted I was shocked I was puzzled sitting there going again okay, how does this all fit in you know we've We've got the TARDIS. Okay, that looks more or less correct. Okay, great. You know, okay, the Doctor now has a granddaughter. Well, where is Mrs. Doctor? Where is Mrs. Who? Exactly. And, uh, you know, just trying to figure out, okay, the Daleks, they look right. Mm -hmm. Although some of them, they got claw arms. Some of them are different colors. Okay, I don't know what this is about. And, you know, eventually down the road I figured, you know, I learned what all that was and how it fit in. But it was very interesting. Just just seeing, again, more evidence of Doctor Who from years past before I was
1: even born. And, and that was pretty exciting. It's, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, it's still exciting for me as well, you know, and I catch some of those, especially the missing episodes now and the missing stories. Uh, you know, I mean, I yeah. just had a couple released, haven't we? Um, mm-hmm. For the first time ever, you know, they've just been rediscovered again, you know, since broadcast, since their initial broadcast. And that, that for me, I find, you know, hugely exciting.
0: I can't tell you how difficult it has been for me not to go onto iTunes and buy them. Right. I know, I know they're going to be releasing them on DVD soon. I think Enemy of the World is supposed to be out by the end of the month. And I think uh, December or January they're supposed to have Web of Fear formally released, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm actually kind of proud of myself for for waiting as I have for those to come out. But, but well, definitely t- as soon as they hit, <laughs> I'm totally going to grab them.
1: I mean, one of the things that, that sort of disappointed me was that I mean, we we have, within Doctor Who we've of course got this wonderful concept of the regeneration. Uh-huh. Um, which allows the show, of course, to reinvent itself periodically, <coughs> which is obviously in, um, being hugely responsible for the, pro- the longevity of the show. And what was really disappointing to me was that, especially my eldest lad, um, he didn't have his doctor because it was off air on the time when he was, you know, at the time when he was a, a young kid. Uh, uh-huh. so what we did do however was um, we used to catch all the reruns of the classic series doctors on a saturday and a sunday morning we used to sit together and watch those Mm -hmm. and um, um, what i'm kind of pleased about is that um, my youngest son josh now has his doctor so although although chris never got it um, and luke probably didn't either um, josh did he got his Mm -hmm. doctor which is, which is great, because that's the thing that I remember from my childhood. I had my doctor, who was Tom Baker, who uh-huh. always will be my doctor. You know?
0: <clears throat> you know, it's, it's like the T-shirt says, you never forget your first doctor.
1: Correct, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, So, I mean, I, I did expose my kids quite, you know, at quite a young age to Doctor Who as well and I'm so pleased that it came back on the air and it came back with such a bang with Christopher Eccleston's Doctor which Mm -hmm. was absolutely phenomenal you know Um, I love that season of Doctor Who. in fact I actually think it was one of my favourite seasons because it brought the show back because Mm -hmm. um, I mean uh, one of the things that I got with my um, I think if memory serves it was the TV movie Paul McGann Mm -hmm. Uh, and I got the special edition of that and in as part of the second disc is an interview with the guy that cancelled Doctor Who. Um,
0: I'm so surprised he, nobody has stoned him or assassinated yeah. him or something.
1: Well, it was yeah, huge booze, <laughs> everybody, you know. Well, I mean, he was saying on there that um, within the interview that um, he never intended to cancel Doctor Who. It was always meant to be um, a, a short-term thing because he felt that the storylines were getting. Still, uh, so what he wanted to do was he wanted to put it on the shelf for a couple of years and then come back with a complete new team so it was actually it was never meant to be cancelled it was always meant to be just postponed or so he claims or so he claims yeah probably one, because he doesn't want to get stoned <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, it, it, it's funny because in
0: that that the long period you know, from, what, around 87 to, uh, what, 96? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, 96, basically, to 2005. I know, you know, certainly from where I am and some of the people that I, that I know, we we kind of unofficially called it, you know, Waiting in Joyful Hope for the Great Doctor Who Renaissance. And, uh, doggone <laughs> it, when word finally came out that they were resurrecting the show oh man, we were really excited but at the same point we were also kind of afraid of what exactly they were going to do with it and I always believed that if they would do to Doctor Who what they essentially did with Star Trek, I said give them a nice size budget you know um, do it at maybe like about an hour long TV show and uh, and get some put a little money into it
1: yeah change the form do that
0: get some get some decent level actors I think you can do this and uh, you know Russell Davies God love him that's exactly what what he did He did he and uh, you know Doctor who came back with a serious vengeance.
1: Yeah, it did. Um, I mean, and, and it's carried on being that way as well. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. we had Christopher Eccleston who kind of nailed the ground. He nailed it, you know, and he was, he, he kind of nailed it so quickly, he, he, he sort of hit the ground running, basically, yeah. the show. Um, and he definitely brought it back with a huge bat. And then we obviously, of course, we had David Tennant, Matt Smith, of course, and now Peter Capaldi, mm-hmm. you know, who were, uh, Matt Smith was another personal favourite of mine. Um, personal favorite of the doctors, of course, um, simply because he he can do it all. He's got he's got emotion. He's got power, drama, um, and he's eccentric as well. He's almost got this childlike innocence about him.
0: Matt Smith actually took some time to grow on me. Right,
1: the first couple seasons,
0: he was just so over the top, just eccentric and energetic and mercurial. I mean, I just kept saying this guy is such a spaz. He needs to really tone down, scale it back. And over the last season or so, I think that's exactly what he did. And you know, it's sad to say that here it is. It was like his last season, and he now he's really captured it. He's got the right pacing, the delivery is there. He's not just you know bouncing around all over the place. He's more controlled. He's in charge, and I think his just overall performance and delivery has, again, for this last season, been absolutely marvelous. I think it's been his best work on the show, and it's really kind of a bummer that you know now that he's finally got
1: it—at least for
0: me—that mm-hmm. you know he's getting ready to go and hand the Titus over to Peter Capaldi.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, when it came to David Tennant as the Doctor. I kind of felt like David Tennant had maybe done a season too many Um, Mm. and I don't mean that in an insulting way or anything it's just that I felt that his heart wasn't in it particularly in the last season Um, you could tell there was something not quite right there Um, however Matt Smith I have the opposite thing I think he had another season left in him you Mm -hmm. know particularly because of the reasons you just mentioned there that he actually um You know, his performance was getting so much better. And better, and better, and better, and better. And to to the point where I think he had another season left in him. Do you remember the night that
0: they were going to
1: announce who the new,
0: the 12th Doctor was going to be? Yeah. You saw that, right? Yeah. Okay. I remember watching that, and... They panned over and they were talking to Matt Smith about what he thought about leaving the show and and passing the torch to a new doctor. And I really got the feeling, just watching his his facial expressions, listening to him mm-hmm. that I think that, you know, while he was trying to be really cool and say, Okay, yeah, congratulations, I know who it's going to be, you know, I wish him the best of luck, he's gonna do a really great job. But I could, I could feel regret in it. I could see it in his face that, you know, I think a part of him was just, you know what, maybe I was a little premature on this. Maybe I left a little too soon.
1: I, uh, I, I kind of yeah, got as well. um, because as well. Because there was a Comic Con interview as well where um, he was on stage being interviewed by the crowd. And a little girl sort of, I think she was, she was almost in tears and she asked him. You know why you're leaving, you know, and mm-hmm. he was nearly in tears on stage as well. <laughs> yeah, stars. and I seem to recall that, and I, I kind of almost got the impression that he perhaps felt in his own mind anyway that maybe perhaps actually he's been a bit too hasty, and maybe perhaps he felt that he may have made a, a slight mistake there. Yeah. Um, however, on to Peter Capaldi. I think he's going to be a great doctor. It's um, I've been saying for a while now that I felt it was time for us to go to an older doctor. Um, mm-hmm. Not because I have any preference on older or younger doctors, I don't. I just think that the last three have been young and it's probably mm-hmm. about time that we saw an older doctor. Yeah, so I is am There very... is. I just think it's yeah, the time. I... All. I'm very excited about Peter Capaldi.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here in America we haven't really heard a whole lot about him right. and it wasn't until the news kind of refreshed my memory that, yeah, he was in, uh, you know, it was at Fires of Pompeii? That he was in there and he's got some other shows in that that, uh, you know, I, I kind of reconnected with him. But uh, I did notice that there seemed to be a trend of getting younger and younger doctors Yeah, and uh, I was getting a bit concerned about that that they were maybe trying to, to play to a particular market, uh, as it were. And I'm thinking, okay, great, so when when Matt Smith finally regenerates, what are they going to get, some kind of a teenager now to, to play the doctor? That's just, that's not right. Well, no. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when they, when they made, uh, it was the day before they made the announcement that my wife showed me a picture of who the public... Uh, seemed to be leaning towards as the uh, the strong odds-on favorite were for the new Doctor. And she showed me a picture, and I looked at him, and I thought, oh, interesting. Older guy, good character in his face, okay. You know, maybe we've got something here. I, I like the idea of a new Doctor. I think we need to reverse this, get somebody perhaps with maybe a little more presence, mm-hmm. a, little, a little less kind of... Uh, Teeny bopper appeal, you know, and uh, you know, go a little bit more old school, and uh, you know, hearing that he is the same age that William Hartnell was when he took the role, that I thought was was really good to hear, and uh, I'm I'm really really looking forward to to what he's gonna to bring to the series. I'm I was just thinking about him the other day, and. Uh, Thinking, geez, you know, I haven't seen any pictures yet of him in his costume, or haven't really yeah. heard about uh, any of the new stories that's going to be coming up for the next season. So uh, I don't know. They they look like they're keeping a fairly tight lid on things, but uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're going to dress him up, and uh, you know, obviously to see mm-hmm. what uh, what he's going to add to the character.
1: I mean. Um just on the subject of the Doctors, uh, various actors that played the Doctor, um, you know, I've kind of hinted myself that Tom Baker is my own personal favourite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I was just kind of curious as to, you know, whether you had any favourites. I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm sure you'd be like exactly the same as myself in that, you know, I've thought every single actor has brought something different to the role and I've enjoyed them all. But of course, mm-hmm. um, Tom Baker is just. Well he's a legend.
0: <laughs> uh, and and uh, that is true. Uh, yes, my first doctor was Tom Baker. I have a very soft spot for him. He he did an amazing job with the character and and brought a new a new life to it that nobody had ever done before. New dimensions that really hadn't been seen. Um, you know, I I liked Peter Davison, Colin Baker. Eh, you know, yeah. uh, Sylvester McCoy I thought was very, very good. Uh, Paul McGann had such tremendous promise, and I, I feel terribly bad for him the way that, that things have been handled over the years that he got such um, such uh, uh, you know a short deal. Uh, uh, I'm really playing the role, and I, I'm delighted that they've brought him back, so, um, okay, uh, for you people out here who haven't seen Night of the Doctor yet, uh, pause right now, go over to YouTube, watch Night of the Doctor, and then come on back to this, because, uh, <laughs> you know, we may risk some spoilers coming in in a little while, okay? Yeah, very well done.
1: Uh, okay. Um,
0: so, yeah. Um, the Doctor's following that. Eccleston, it took me a couple ep- episodes to kind of get a feel for him because he was very drastically different from the classic Doctors. Yeah. And, um you know, eventually that I, I took to it because I'm thinking, okay, this is the 21st century. We've got a more modern Doctor. He's been around. He's seen more. He's done more. So, uh you know, he's got more of maturity perhaps to him. A little darker, yeah. You know, we are a culture that kind of likes a bit more of of a a slightly darker anti-hero kind of a character. So yeah, Eccleston, good way to go. When when Eccleston decided to go and David Tennant was gonna take over, I saw him on the cover of Doctor Who magazine and my first thought was, who the heck is this kid that they've decided to make the Doctor? This is ridiculous. And then when he debuted, you know, yeah, it was all right, it was all right, till they got towards the end of the Christmas special. And when, when his doctor loses his hand to the, to the psychoraxe and he regenerates it, and he's like, oh, yeah, I got a new hand, and it's a fighting hand. I laughed out <laughs> loud, and I'm like, okay, dude, you're in. You're the doctor. I like you. You're my man. Let's go. Let's adventure. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, that was that's when David David Tennant captured captured me, and you know all of the stuff he did was just marvelous. I would probably now put him quite possibly as my favorite, as my second, actually my second favorite doctor. Right. You know, if we were talking, if if <laughs> frequently we hear, you know, okay, if one of the doctors could appear like in your living room and take you away to go adventuring, what doctor would you want? Despite the fact that I love Tom Baker, I would rather go off and hang out with David Tennant. I think we could get into all kinds of amazingly cruel mischief together.
1: I think if, um, although Tom Baker's my favorite, again, with that question posed to me, uh, I think I would want to go with with, um, probably Paul McGann's Doctor. Okay. Quite quite frankly. there's, there's something, um, you know, on the subject of Paul McGann's That there's something about him, the presence that you mentioned earlier, he, he just absolutely had it all. He was absolutely phenomenal. Um, he had tremendous stage presence and on-screen presence. He also was just fabulously eccentric. He could do the most incredible dramatic moments as well. I'm really pleased he's got a second chance of being on screen again, Mm -hmm. albeit in a very short format. Um, The only thing, the only gripe I had about that um, Night of the Doctor mini sword was the fact that it was just too too short. Uh, Absolutely. I I would have loved to have seen an hour long show with Paul McGann. I I just, truthfully, I would love it. And in fact, um, I'm kind of hoping that when the BBC finally sees the editor of its ways, that eventually maybe they might do a, like a little hour-long special and maybe a one-off feature in Paul McGann's Doctor.
0: You know, theoretically, I don't see why they couldn't have they something
1: yeah. like that,
0: mm-hmm. you know? Well, why they- have little, little odd specials, maybe in between seasons where maybe they bring one of the Doctors back and have like a, a missing episode or a lost episode, like they've done with the novels, like Big Finish has done with all of those great audio stories.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, it, it would just be absolutely superb. I tell you what would work well was um, the Douglas Adams story Shada, which had basically, um, you know, it was only partially completed in the Tom Baker even, and, and I know that when they released it on. On DVD, they had Tom Baker explaining what happened in the missing scenes, and that was yeah. kind of cool in its own right because Tom's a really great storyteller. Yeah. Um, but I know the Big Finish did a version of the Shada story featuring Paul McGann, uh-huh. and I'm just thinking that maybe that would be kind of cool to see that on screen. Um That could be interesting, um, especially you know I mean. With the Douglas Adams script as well you know. yeah
0: the thing of it for me is my first experience with Shada was when I got the VHS tape of the Tom Baker episode and I was really excited to get it and see it and to me Shada is part of the Tom Baker episodes my when they redid it they, they had like a, like a semi animated webisode on uh, like a BBC website with Paul McGann and uh, and Lala Ward doing doing Shadow. and I think the biggest thing that disturbed me was the fact that they have a completely different doctor doing it. Right. So that's that's why I, I I'm really not necessarily in favor of doing another remake or doing anything further necessarily with the
1: Shadow story. Yeah, I can see that. Um, you know. But there's plenty more of uh, Paul McGann's Doctor's experiences and stories that could bring out. You know, on oh, yeah. I mean, there's already lots of them that exist in the big Finnish world. Mm-hmm. Um, Those are excellent. And of course, there's, you know, who's to say that he couldn't write something new? I mean, sure. Stephen Moffat clearly seems to have, have it nailed when it comes to writing for Paul McGann's Doctor.
0: Mm-hmm. So, it was yeah. nice to be reminded in Night of the Doctor. Of just what a presence that Paul McGann really has, oh, and goodness. you know, it would be so great to fill in some more of those gaps. It was cool watching it because you saw right there McGann yeah. just in some of his dialogue bridging the gap between
1: the TV series and the Big Finish audios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so that was very, very well done. What am I supposed to do? You haven't got much time left. What am I supposed to do? Boil yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Pass me the Yeah, name. Exactly, that was just great. Pass me the knitting. I mean, <laughs> that was just absolutely <laughs> amazing. But he also he right. came across as very powerful and dramatic as well. You know, it just seemed it, it, it just proves yeah. that you know what everybody always knew, which was that he would make a phenomenal um, doctor if he was given his own series. He would be absolutely, absolutely incredible. In that role, and mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I would like you know, if, if, if I was to take off in the TARDIS with any of the doctors, that's why it would be him um, because mm-hmm. he, has, he just has so much energy yeah. about him and so much presence. And mm-hmm. even through the difficult situations, he kind of gets through, goes laughing. Yeah, and it's the humor side I think I would appreciate most about Paul McGann's doctor. Um. Yeah,
0: I think you know, the the Doctor does have a humorous side. Of and, you know, while while William Hartnell played him as rather stern and irascible in that, I think it was it was very important if the series were to continue for the Doctor to have to have more appeal. Mm-hmm. And thank God Patrick Troughton put in the humor that he did. Because that, that, that gave it to that, that made the people able to see that, you know, this guy is, is not this eternally crotchety old guy that there's more dimension to him yeah. and, you know, when John Pertwee came, al- came along you got to see kind of a nice balance between, you know, an authoritarian, you know, Pertwee had his odd little lines and stuff and his snarky comments that were kind of amusing and his action-oriented doctor that was kind of a nice mid ground between the two, so you know that further helped the evolution of the character.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, again, I agree. Um, but what I'm saying is that I, I, I dearly would love to see Paul McGann actually eventually be given his own series. Um, I don't know. Certainly, the way that the fans are, are talking about that new mini You know, and and people are absolutely delighted by it, including Stephen Moffat, of course. Yeah, it's
0: amazing that a little, like, six-and-a-half-minute episode could have that much of an impact.
1: Absolutely, and and what I'm thinking is that if it it does have that impact, then will the BBC do more? And maybe they will, maybe they won't. Um, It's certainly something that I would like to see happen. It's also something
0: that really hasn't ever been done. You know, it could be really groundbreaking. And I have said this before over the years that, yeah, okay, technically, you know, we're, we're a few doctors past Paul McGann. But why can't we go back and, and do a few more episodes with, a, you know, little gap fillers? Why not? Yeah, why You're not, not? going to really mess up continuity. If you've got the right people working on it, you could still do it. It could still work the people will love it. It would, you know, theoretically make a great filler um, mid-season or, you know, between two seasons while they're doing the Capaldi's or whoever follows Capaldi. That would be great, though. People would
1: love it. Of course they would, yeah. And um, one of the other things I'm delighted by as well is the casting of John Hurt as the War Doctor.
0: Yeah, that uh, was very interesting to see. Listen. And, you know, his, his costume in particular, too, is just such an interesting blend of Paul McGann's and Christopher Eccleston's. So it's going to be neat to see how that plays
1: out. Absolutely. And um, I kind of like the sort of raggedy look of his war doctor oh, yeah. as well. That's um, a doctor you don't want to mess with. Absolutely. You know, this is the warrior. And, uh-huh. um, you know, you can see... Even just looking at the uh, John Hurt's eyes, you can see that there's uh, the, 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 there's a lot of past history has gone on behind those eyes, and not mm-hmm. all of it pleasant. In fact, most of it not pleasant. And yes, he, he's he's already picked that up. And um, even the beard as well seems to really mm-hmm. suit him. Apparently, I mean, I was you know I was reading online that. Um, that John Hurt showed up on the set on his first day of shooting wearing that beard and he actually asked Stephen Moffat if he should shave it and uh, Moffat says to him, don't do it. <laughs> You're meant to be this sort of war-torn, uh, raggedy, you know, wisened old warrior doctor, you know. Uh-huh, and smart move. I think it's a smart move as well because I think it absolutely suits him. And you know what else it also does as well is also draws parallels with the master. Who's was always worn a little goatee type beard. So interesting. Certainly in the classic years, anyway. You know, (laughs) um, you know. I know John Sim didn't wear a beard. No. You know what I'm getting to? Yeah. It's kind of like it's sort, sort of draws parallels with that old school master yeah that also wore exactly the type be that same type of beard now one of the th- one of the poems that I've always been interested with in is Beowulf now when Beowulf starts out, it's very clear within that poem who the good guy is and who the bad guy is and as the poem progresses along um, those that line between good guy and bad guy isn't quite so clear. Mm-hmm and that Grendel necessarily isn't the bad guy or at least it's not distinguishable and maybe that's what they're doing with this character with the war doctor they're trying to make him uh, trying to make that line between good and evil not necessarily as clear cut because the doctor hasn't always been hasn't always done the right thing Yeah, he's made mistakes just like the rest of us have Certainly his
0: intention was always for the greater good. Oh, yeah. You know, but I think when when you talk in terms perhaps of the Great Time War, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like really the biggest event that has ever occurred in time and space. You know, we got the Time Lords, we got the Daleks. This is the ultimate mega-throwdown. I mean, if you thought the Daleks versus the Cybermen was a big deal, (laughs) yeah, okay, that was good. But you know this is this is it, this is all the marbles and really, the doctor of um, you know the first 30 years probably was not you know the times champion needed to really help win, so to speak. I use the term loosely. yeah of course, this particular battle you you need. You need Doctor Plus. You need you need something that's really gonna be mm-hmm. gonna be. You know, I don't know if I could say it on podcast. Badass. Okay. Of course you can. And that's I think what the uh, what what the John Hurt Doctor is, and Paul McGann finally realizes that the Doctor as a healer is not what's needed for this situation. We need the badass Doctor to finally really resolve this situation. and the only way to do it is is to become this this new life form this new this new doctor
1: yeah absolutely and i mean he is grizzled and he is wise and looking anyway and i'm Mm -hmm. seriously looking forward to seeing how john hurt plays him properly you know when we we actually watch the 50th anniversary um i mean it's only it's only a week away you know yeah this is you know I can't wait. A week away from when we're recording this. Yeah. And and I'm going to... I'll be there at the cinema watching it in 3D.
0: Uh, The the theaters in my neck of the woods that are showing it aren't showing it until the Monday afterwards, like the 25th. Oh, right. So um, I'm not going to go there. They're showing it like it's 7.30 and 10 o'clock at night. It's a work night. By then, I will have already seen it on TV. So um, I'm not going to see it in 3D, although I will probably pick up, like, 3D Blu-ray eventually because uh, (laughs) I I have friends who do have a fantastic 3D TV, (laughs) and maybe one day I'll get it and and be able to experience it. But uh, for me, it's just going to
1: be a TV version,
0: and that's going to be perfectly fine,
1: you know. Well, I'm going to make this an event. For the, for the kids and everybody I'm going to be there with my uh, with my Tom Baker scarf and i nice. my Tom Baker sonic screwdriver with me <laughs> very cool very cool <laughs> I'm really you going know, to be I... enjoying this um, I'm going to be making sure that the kids all have a sonic screwdriver with them oh cool so that should be fun especially our Josh um, yeah Josh is my for, for those listeners that are not familiar Josh is my youngest son he's, um, he's coming up 10 years old, um, and he'll be 10 years old on the 27th of November, so... Ooh, close. So Very, very close. close. Very close to the um, 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And um, Josh's doctor is David Tennant, um, although he absolutely loves Matt Smith, so I might just lend him my Matt Smith Sonic screwdriver. That's cool. Um, and he can take that and have some fun with that, you know. Um, so, we should have a laugh anyway. We should have some good times ahead. Um, I think oh, definitely. Um, what's been interesting in, in the UK anyway, uh, with the Doctor Who 50th anniversary, is all little bits and pieces that have been coming. Um, I mean, we've had um, on TV channels um, or networks, as you call them in the US, um, you have little dents for the uh, for the station, for the channel, the network, whatever. You know, in between shows, they play a little clip saying, you know, we're great, you know, this is NBC or this is the BBC or whatever, you know, we're fantastic and this is what you're watching, you know. And uh, it's been really interesting to see Matt Smith's doctor interrupting those, uh, which has been. <laughs> it's been really, really odd. He kind of just interrupts me, he's only on screen for about a second and a half. And he's kind of knocking on the screens and tapping his watch saying it's <laughs> nearly time. You know, and that's been kind of fun to watch. Um, a number of other things that have been happening as well is that some of the BBC's other drama shows, uh, I've started spotting tardises in the background on show. See, Shave. you guys
0: are so lucky. We don't have any of this stuff here in America.
1: I mean, it's been really funny to watch. Um, you know, as I was talking to you earlier, Mark, uh, we were talking about the uh, science of Doctor Who lecture that Professor Brian Cox gave, and that was just absolutely fascinating. Um, not only that, but I mean, there was lots of really cool clips between um, of, of Brian Cox actually on board the Tardis with Matt Smith's Doctor, and they were really funny, really funny as well. So it was a brilliant lecture. It's definitely one I recommend people catch because it's really, really cool stuff. Um, there's all sorts of other stuff Of course we've got the uh, An Adventure in Time and Space coming as well I think which is on Thursday night I'm really really Looking forward to that I've seen the odd stills here and there And I finally
0: saw this past Week a commercial for it um, You know it was a link uh, Basically to YouTube uh, Of the commercial And I am just amazed At the casting for this particular show, I, man, I, I, I can't tell you how thrilled I am. What an amazing bunch they got together to put this put this thing together. Well, so uh, I don't know that they're going to be showing it here right away or not. I haven't heard, but uh, I'm sure it'll be coming soon enough over to our screens in one form or another.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of the ones that I'm really... It's it's one of the big events this year that I'm seriously looking forward to because you're right, the casting is absolutely spot on. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the guy that they've cast as William Hartnell is absolutely terrific. I mean, he looks like Hartnell. He sounds like him as well. Yeah. And um, he's got the mannerisms down down pat. He's just absolutely mm-hmm. superb. Even the, um, the actress that's played Verity Lambert, she looks yeah. like Verity Lambert, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, and then of course they have got Mark Gattis, um, writing, uh, wrote the script as well. So that's another good sign and all, you know. Cool. I heard
0: there that, that they've also got actors there for, uh, that are going to be playing Patrick Troughton and John Pert- I think Mark Gattis is going to be doing a little bit actually as Pertwee. Right, Well, wow. And I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how, how they're, the the trout and the perch that, that they've done for this show are going to look
1: well. I've not heard anything about trout and perch being a part of it. Um, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. What happened? i am just saying, you know I've not personally read or seen anything along those lines. Um, but I am really looking forward to the show. I'm am just wondering if they're going to bring Delia Derbyshire into it and maybe Ron Green. Even if it's just a tiny little sort of thirty-second scene, you know, with Delia working at the Radiophonics Workshop,
0: I would think that they should. I yeah, why should not? Well. You know, that was a very that was a very significant part of uh, of the show, and particularly in yeah. its in its early years, in its early development.
1: Of course, I mean, um, there were there were times when uh, I know, that, I mean, obviously, I wasn't born in nineteen sixty-three, but uh, certainly, I mean. The, there's lots of stories and the BBC got lots of complaints about Doctor Who when it was first broadcast because people thought the opening title sequence was terrifying. In fact, they actually thought it was more scary than the Daleks. Jeez. <laughs> um, and so, and it's all down to the fact that it was so innovative. People hadn't heard that level of electronic music before and even the title sequence itself is... Very innovative. It, that had never been seen before, as such. Not outside of special exhibitions and things, you know? And so it was all uh-huh. groundbreaking stuff. Um, sure. So, yeah, I'd kind of like that. I, I would like to hope, um, in fact, I do hope that, you know, they do at least address Delia Derbyshire in it. Um, that would be, I mean, because she is, um, as most people who've heard the previous Behind the sofa shows know, um, Delia is my hero within the production world. Um, end of story, you know. I think that the stuff that the Radiophonics Workshop did is just exceptional and and such a phenomenally great output as well. There's masses and masses and masses of sound effects and music, and the, the output from there was just second to none and so innovative and pushing boundaries back left and right and that is kind of where I'm at as a producer an audio producer I want to do the same things I want to push back the boundaries as to what's possible or what you can do technically and uh, you know they're good people good inspiration without a doubt yeah you know people
0: sometimes joke about the shoestring budget that the uh, the BBC (laughs) gave to, to the production team for a lot of years to put on the show and uh you know, you really got to take your hat off to what they were able to ultimately pull off with what money they were given. I was looking at some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff on one of the DVDs, mm-hmm. and it was something like you know they had two thousand pounds basically to uh, to do the costumes and special effects and uh, you know, set dressing, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm for a lot of years and uh, you know okay money was worth a bit more certainly back then but even so that's not what, they, what what the Even back then you know when you think of television and films and that two thousand pounds that ain't a whole lot of money it's not. And you know they did the very best they could with it and still in many cases they were able to uh, you know to scare kids and, and, and get them Hiding behind the sofa, and And that so uh, much credit to to the production
1: teams for for what they did. I agree. I mean that that is part of the overall charm of the classic series for me. Yeah, it's the fact that because they had no budget, they had to be x amount more creative to try and tell the story or create these alien worlds and things, you know. And people have joked over the years about them always filming in a quarry. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) but but hey. they had to do what they had to do, and let's face it, the outside location um, shooting was incredibly uh, rare for them to get that opportunity, <laughs> so mm-hmm. <coughs> they had to do what they had to do, basically. Um, one of the joys of um, watching Sharda, that we were talking about earlier, was all of the locations around Oxford, sure. you know, seeing Tom Baker going through the streets on a bicycle. That was uh-huh. phenomenal. That was great to see. <laughs> Apparently you never got, you nearly got knocked off that bike by oncoming traffic several times. <laughs> was that was that Oxford or Cambridge? Oxford. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Oxford. Uh, okay. Because I know
0: I know when, when he and Romana they were they were uh, they were on the boat, they were like hunting, wasn't it was that the cam that they were on?
1: I think so, yeah. Um, okay. But I think the rest of the, the other outside shots were going in Oxford.
0: Okay. Well, <laughs> <to>. <laughs> hey, you're closer to the, to, to the place than I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I only yeah. say that because I watched Sharda recently and I recognized some of the locations okay. from when I was in Oxford a few I would love of to go visit there. It's um, it's an interesting place, <laughs> to say the it least. It looks beautiful. It does. It is beautiful. I mean, you... Um, it's and it's got such a huge history, um, you know that predates modeling. <laughs> so, I mean, of course, and, and obviously after modeling as well. Um, yeah. You know, there's the likes of the Rabbit Root in the Eagle and Child pub. Uh huh. I was I was just exchanging some emails with Bill earlier today, Bill Hallwick, and we were okay. talking about Guinness, you know, and it's it's pretty pretty. Um, anyone that's known Bill for a little while will know that that's Bill's favourite drink is Guinness and so I was relating the fact that the best pint of Guinness I ever had was actually in the Eagle and Child pub in Oxford and um, certainly on the Magdalen series that's called the Burden Baby where it's the same pub um, and I was just noting to Bill earlier that um, a boy would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when um, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and Lord David Cecil were sat in that pub man in that very room sipping pints of Guinness smoking pipe weed and talking about hobbits and dragons and wardrobes and wow so, you know, I would just dearly have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that moment I mean seriously how amazing would that be you know um, to have seen those conversations because. Um, as not a lot of people know, but there's actually three Inklings. Um, obviously, everybody knows Tolkien. Um, pretty much most people know C.S. Lewis. And then, of course, there's Lord David Cecil, who was the third member of the Inklings. And is obviously a regular character on Maudlin as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That is the Cecil that we have on Magdalen. So Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting series, and it's, it's, sorry, it's an interesting place. Um, Particularly if you like sandwiches and bicycles.
0: <laughs> Come on, who could who not like sandwiches and
1: bicycles? Well, there you go, you know. I mean, it's like, um, you, you will actually see people in Victorian costumes riding around the streets of Oxford on penny-farthings. Oh, wow. Um, see, the thing is, is
0: now, honestly, I can't see a penny-farthing without thinking of a prisoner. Yeah. so that would be the first thing I would actually start thinking of
1: if I saw such a thing. Yeah, I mean but so it's kind of an eccentric little town, um, and cool. it's obviously got a lot of a lot of history as well. Which is not to say that it's kind of got this sort of old school flavour to it. Um, it's actually quite a happening, sort of modern town as well. Um, so it's got a vibrant nightlife and things like that. So yeah, it's a cool place. <laughs> Very nice. Um Anyway, we'll back to Doctor Who. <laughs> right, right. That's the point of the show.
0: <laughs> you know, I know we, we, were, we were talking about uh, Paul McGann's resurgence in mm-hmm. Night of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And I know, Stevie, you and I had talked a little bit prior to recording this show uh-huh. about uh, a couple of interesting theories of that had yeah. uh, regarding a certain issue that could be cropping yeah. up. That uh, people have concerned themselves about, and it's certainly Peter Capaldi becoming the twelfth Doctor. You know, people are worried. Okay, well, what the heck is going to go on? Okay, Doctor's got twelve regenerations. Okay, Peter's twelve. We got one more. Then what the heck are we
1: going to do? Which was, and, something uh, that, um, which was something that Broken Seashore explored as well with uh, the Quorum of Time. Uh huh. And uh, you know, I was I was
0: thinking about this this particular issue on the way, just driving home from work yesterday. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, again, for those of you who have not watched Night of the Doctor, pause now and go to YouTube,
1: watch it, and then come back. a uh, suspect, um, and and just a bit of a warning here for. listeners as well I suspect Mac and I now are going to get into pure speculation
0: (laughs) right right this is pure speculation and uh, you know take it for what it's worth we're not saying specifically what's going on this is just the two of us thinking hmm okay well maybe this and uh, you know the thought just kinda hit me out of nowhere that okay cool so sisterhood of Karn yeah great classic ladies from the past. Uh, was it Brain of Morbius, yeah?
1: Brain of Morbius.
0: Okay. So, we got Brain of Morbius here, and it's interesting. When I when I saw someone posted the, the clip for this, mm-hmm. and I saw the uh, the main sister there, for some reason, I looked at the picture, and I'm like, oh, that reminds me of the Sisterhood of Karn. And I'm, when I finally watched it, I'm thinking, oh my god, I was right. Jeez, have I really been immersed in this show for too <laughs> long, and but uh, what it went on, and obviously what happened, and uh, you know the doctor crashing, and and uh, the sisterhood bringing him back, and subsequently, you know, we finally see his his change into into well, we don't really see it per se. You know, we know he regenerates into John Hurt cool, and then it struck me, oh wow the issue of the regenerations here is our out, okay and I know Stevie you talked about perhaps a little bit of a different version of this which I'm sure you'll get to in just a minute
1: uh... no I just want to give people a little bit of a build-up here Mac. you know okay uh, okay go right ahead okay Stephen Moffat has announced that during the 50th anniversary there is something really really big going to be happening Um uh, that will kind of um, change the way we look at Doctor Who is talking mm-hmm. about something that's going to happen that is so massive um, and this is where we're leading up to by the way folks yeah right uh, this is all speculating on what that might be
0: okay so you know I it dawns on me that okay cool so Paul again, technically dead okay Doctor Who dead so if you're dead, you can't regenerate. Cool. Sisterhood brings him back for like four minutes, gives him the magic potion. Just enough time to regenerate. Cool. So what's to say this isn't perhaps the thing that maybe has now given him a new regenerative cycle that, you know, can continue the show. Maybe now, okay, he's got another 12. Mm-hmm. You know, will we start with John Hurt as number one? or is he more kind of a transitional sort of new beginning and that thereby making Christopher Eccleston number one and starting things back up again which you know a lot of of people nowadays they make a distinction between the classic series and the new series so in a lot of people's minds their first doctor is Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant is number two Matt Smith is number three so in a weird sense you know that could almost kind of make that distinction. You know, this new beginning, this new generation of Doctor Who, uh, with John Hurt as a catalyst doctor, so to speak, like an an eight point five, and uh, you know, starting a whole new regeneration cycle with Christopher Eccleston onward. And who knows?
1: Who knows? Um, and here's my theory, which is <coughs> okay. uh, um, in the brain of Mobius. Um, the Sisterhood also gave Tom Baker's Doctor an elixir. They also hinted in some flashback sequences in that story. And bear in mind, Raina Morbius was the one that had the Sisterhood account in it previously. that's the last time we saw those characters. And my, it also hinted in the flashback moments that William Hartnell's Doctor wasn't the first and that Tom Baker's doctor was actually Doctor eight. Mm-hmm. Which would now mean that Matt Smith's doctor would technically be number 15. Which means that that elixir that he was given back by the sisterhood of Kahn, back, um, back in the brain of Morbius, has meant that the doctor has been able to regenerate more than 12 times ever since the Tom Baker era and in fact is already beyond the 13 incarnations now um, they hinted within the brain of Morbius of course that there was more doctors prior to William Hartnell. so how does that affect the numbering of the doctors that we know today well it doesn't because William Hartnell's doctor was the first one to use the name the doctor. All the doctors before that weren't using the name the doctor, they were using his other name. Now we already know from the Tom Baker era that certainly somebody that was there at the Gallifrey Academy with the doctor didn't know him by the name of the doctor. He called him Theta Sigma.
0: Wasn't it said that Theta Sigma was more of like, like a nickname that he earned within the academy? Correct. It's more like, yeah. it like a fraternity nickname. So, yeah, if that's very that yeah. true. We really still don't know his true name.
1: Exactly. And of course, okay. we probably never will know his true name, um, simply because we now know that um, Stephen Moffat very cleverly wrote in that his real name can never be revealed. Because if he does, the universe will collapse. his name is Bob yeah smart move what a great letdown! well I think it's a smart move because I know that um, I I think it's a smart move because I don't want an awful lot explaining about the Doctor's past I don't want to know I think the character works better as a mysterious character and I don't know I don't necessarily want to know who his mother and father were Maybe exactly.
0: sisters you know, or brothers. I mean you know, I know it's been don't, it's like it's like you know, don't give us an explanation for what the force is. You know, yeah. don't tell us it's about some little microorganisms inside people's bodies.
1: That's it, yeah.
0: You know? But let's keep let's keep the mystique alive.
1: Absolutely. I mean that's that's yeah. that's where it is for me. I mean I know there's there's been sort of hints that the master might actually be the doctor's brother. Um, yeah. I don't ever want that to be explained I want that to be a mystery, one that we'll ponder for a long, 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 long time to come Um, Mm -hmm. There was even a novel, wasn't there many, many years ago that was supposed to explain the Doctor's life on Gallifrey before he became the Doctor stole a TARDIS and went off exploring the universe Mm -hmm. Um, and I've deliberately held off reading it I think I've got it somewhere as a PDF and I've I've never read it deliberately because I don't want to read it because I don't want to know it's like um, the last James Bond film where they explained a little bit more about Bond's past and where he grew up and things like mm-hmm. that I didn't want that
0: because again, well, it wasn't all that that much I mean it, I, I thought it was kind of neat you know to see the house where Bond grew up and that and Mm-hmm. But I don't think they really revealed all that that much to really spoil anything necessarily for no, me.
1: I, I don't think they revealed too much, <coughs> but what I God. do think is it's opened, the, it's opened the doors, the floodgates now for future writers in the Bond series to be able True. to go back and explore that even, in, in even more detail. So uh-huh. I, although I don't have a problem with that to say for that particular film. I have a problem with the fact that what it might do for future films at the beginning, where somebody else might go, okay, right, well, it's been done in this film, you know, right, we can do it in this one. Yeah. No! Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: well, it's my, it. It. it's my hope that, yeah. that the BBC will at least still keep enough control over the character, you know, it, through the various media, through the books, through the Big Finish CDs, that they don't ever reveal too much. I think to learn too much about certain characters yeah. can actually destroy them. Absolutely. You know, you, you need the mystique.
1: It's um, yeah, I agree. It, the character just works better as a mysterious character. Um, mm-hmm. It just just does. You know, yeah. um, and and I'd love to see. I, I'd kind of like to see that never explained. Yeah, never really fully fulfilled. If you know what I mean? It's a there's a con-
0: small part of me that wants to know, but yeah. the larger part of me is just like, you know, some things are better left unknown.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so, anyway, basically, my theory is is that the doctor's been able to regenerate more than twelve times ever since Tom Baker's era.
0: Um, yeah, I have a very strong suspicion that right now. You know, whether most people realize that I, I truly believe that he could very well be into a new cycle of regenerations.
1: Yes. And as we speak. And the other side of it is that um, Stephen Moffat's already sort of referenced this as well, you know, in that he said there's something that we've all the fans have missed that'll have people clamouring back to watch their old DVDs. ...that they've all missed in respect of the number of regenerations. Wow. We've all miscounted, he said. Oh. So that's, that sort of gives a little bit of credence to, uh, to our theories. However, we all know that um, Stephen Moffat is a self-confessed liar. <laughs> <But openly laughs> and you know,
0: I'm, I'm a ho- honestly, at this point, I'm hoping Christopher Eccleston turns out to be as well. Yes, you know, Did either. you Did you happen to see the one interview that they did... Uh, like last spring they caught him after something and uh, it was on YouTube and they asked him if he had uh, any involvement in the 50th anniversary and the look on his face when they asked him that it was one of those like uh, like he didn't at first know how to answer it plus if you look at how he was wearing his hair it looked just like he wore it on the show, uh, and uh, you know his reply was, "Well, if I told you, I'd have to kill you." Yeah, I did say. And that, then he just, you know, later on said, "No, no, no, they haven't talked to me." Uh, so you know, I was I was not completely convinced by that. Uh, so you know, in light of Paul McGann's return after you know categorically denying any involvement, you know, I'm I'm hoping. Even if it's just for, for a small, short scene, maybe a regeneration sequence from John Hurt, mm-hmm. I would be happy. I would be happy with
1: that, just, just to see Eccleston back on screen one more time. Yeah, likewise, uh, you know, Stephen Moffat has hinted that he has lied, openly lied to the, <laughs> to the fans. Um, yeah. Sort of in a good way, though, because... Yeah,
0: you know, Billy Piper did the same thing
1: several yeah. months ago someone
0: caught her after a show and asked if she was going to be in it, no, no, I'm not part of this, I'm not going to be in it, and, you know, we all know that's not true.
1: Yeah, I mean, the other thing as well is that, um, I certainly have seen Stephen Moffat interviews where he, he, he said that he actually did call Christopher Eccleston in and they had a conversation, they had several conversations about Christopher Eccleston coming back for uh-huh. the 50th, um, but that it didn't work out. Uh-huh. That's what he said. He said it didn't work out. So uh, uh, that's something I <laughs> that maybe don't quite believe, and I'm kind of hoping it's not true. I'd like to see Chris Wrexham. Yeah. Anyway, when Stephen Moffat's been lying, it just sort of, you know I'm not taking this. Um, you know I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive, and I'm certainly not having a pop at Stephen Moffat. He openly admits to the world that he's lying to the fans because he wants to throw us all off the trail of what's really sure. happening and there's a part And I'm okay with that! I am as well because um... I remember when Star Trek The Next Generation was being broadcast for the, fir- the first time around um, uh-huh. what was happening was the scripts were leaking out for the next few episodes in fact there was, there was one occasion with an entire season of scripts actually leaked out across the internet and so you could see what was planned for the next season and uh, I don't like, I mean personally I didn't read them because I don't want to spoil things for myself um, and so there's, there's a part of me that really loves the idea that Moffat's sort of looking at us all and he's smiling as he's telling us because he knows what he's got planned and yeah. there's a part of me that, that's really loving the fact that we don't know what's coming um it's not spoiled for us with everything that's meant to be a surprise is a surprise and and that's what I'm really loving about it and to be honest I don't think he has a choice but to lie because I've I've seen this across some of the fan forums have sort of said yeah well I'd rather he didn't lie to us I'd rather he just told us that he you know he wasn't going to discuss it Uh rather than openly lying Um, but I don't think he's got a choice because I think it's probably the only way he can keep the plot lines under wraps Uh, and keep some of the surprises under wraps Um, Mm -hmm. because if people even get a hint that somebody like um, Paul McGann's coming back they're going to hound him and it will eventually leak out
0: a couple months oh jeez about a month and a half, two months ago Mm -hmm. uh, I heard word that Paul McGann uh, was called to the BBC Mm -hmm. to actually record something and I, I just thought, ooh, interesting, cool. Let's, let's see, what, what, what is this? I had no idea what they were going to do, if it was even true. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, a day or two ago that, you know, I saw all of this about Night of the Doctor, and I went to YouTube and checked it out. And for that, like, six and a half minutes, I was in heaven. So, um, you know, yeah, what's something. to say that there, uh, you know, there isn't something else. That uh, that is in store for us you know either with Christopher mm-hmm. Eccleston or whomever you know yeah. what they can do with digital technology we've all seen the uh, that, that really interesting commercial that they've done for Day of the Doctor where where they've got that, that big scene with the TARDIS and all the doctors all over the place you know who knows what who knows? they can do digitally now
1: and, and the other thing as well is I mean I do suspect that we've got a lot of surprises coming in the fiftieth anniversary episode, I think there's, there's yeah. so much that's been kept under wraps, and sure. you know, far be it from you know. As I was saying earlier, I just want to be clear to our listeners here that I'm not attacking Stephen Moffat for lying to us. In fact, I'm actually praising him for doing it. Yes, I, totally. I, I actually respect the heck out of him for doing what he's had to do to keep this under wraps because this is big, and I want when I, when I watch it. I want, that's, uh, I want the bits that are supposed to be surprises for me to actually be surprises, you know? Yeah, me too, me uh, too. And so I'm actually praising him for that, you know, and I think he's, uh, he's done the only thing he can do, quite frankly. And so he goes out and he openly admits to people that he's been lying ever since the day he took over the show. You know? <laughs> and, well, fair enough, but at least he's kept it under wraps. He's kept the plots under wraps, and I think that's probably the only way he can do it.
0: So, That's yeah. right. He's told us the truth about lying. That's okay. That's better than most politicians.
1: Of course it is, yeah. They wouldn't openly admit that they'll lie. Oh. No. <laughs> no. Not at all. Um, so, anyhow, um, <laughs> so, so what's Doctor Who actually meant to you over the years? I mean, you've played The Doctor in audio probably longer than anybody has. Um, including a lot of the actual TV doctors that are actually playing the Doctor in um,
0: Well, I would say at this point uh, I'm probably tied with, with Paul McGann. I think he's he's done it for about ten years. Mm-hmm. This is uh, technically, I know it's it's been a while since we've had uh, an actual release over at Broken Sea, and, and we've got our reasons for that. But um, uh, this is Actually, ten years that I've been at it.
1: Um, wow! I, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm glad you corrected me because earlier on I said you've been playing the doctor for seven years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm glad you corrected me on that one, man. We're beyond that. Yeah. Um, well we? And
0: um, actually, uh, when I, when I say that I've been playing the doctor for ten years, uh, technically, yes, that's true. Uh, when I debuted in Grave White North that came out in 2004 and um... to be honest um... I actually was the doctor before that and um... also I was not the first choice uh... to play the doctor at the time Some of you have heard bits and pieces of this story, perhaps in previous episodes or maybe other interviews, but um, way back in about 2003, um, I was starting to get into the whole audio field. Actually, it was like 2002, 2003. And uh, we had a Star Trek show going on, and uh, Big Finish back in like, what, 99 started producing their shows so um myself and eric busby we we were talking and uh you know we thought wouldn't it be cool to maybe do some doctor who shows because there, there was no who at the time the show ended there was the paul McGinn uh show and then big finish, and that was it. But the big finish shows were very inspiring. They thought, well, hey, let, let's do our own version of it. Okay, cool. And, um, so Eric was in talks with, uh, with somebody. And, uh, I don't know if it was Aaron Tillman or someone that fell out. And, uh, basically negotiations went a bit south. So Eric sends me this script one night, and uh, it was about a page and a half long, close to two pages, and it had the Doctor and his character Frobisher. So for, for, for some of the, uh, the more devoted Who fans who know who Frobisher is, uh, he was a companion of the Colin Baker Doctor, and it started in Doctor Who magazine in the, the, the comics, comic strip pages. And later on, the Frobisher character made a couple appearances in big Finish audios. And uh, Frobisher is a little shapeshifter uh, of a species called the Whifferdill. And Frobisher had quite a fondness for taking the shape of a penguin. And so often you would see in the comics the sixth Doctor walking around and adventuring with this little penguin next to him, and that was Frobisher. So uh, Eric wrote this little script. That, uh, that had the Doctor and Frobisher uh, showing up uh, on this planet, this one place, and they had this little interaction, and that was essentially this little mini, little, mini scene. <clears throat> so um, he sent it to me, and I looked at it, and I heard the bad news that the, that the fellow that, that he wanted for the Doctor uh, fell through, and I was so bummed out. I'm like, you know what? There's so much potential to have a really, really cool series here um, you know what, for the heck of it, let me, let me just record this and, you know, see what you think, for the heck of it. And I recorded the, uh, the little mini-script that he wrote as both the Doctor and the Frobisher character. So I sent it off to him and uh, didn't hear back from him until the next day. The next day he had taken the raw file, mixed in sound effects and stuff, And uh, he made an announcement to the group that we were with at the time called Quantum Realities. So This this was really even before uh, what's known today as Darker Projects had even taken off. And um, he he made an announcement to the group that uh, we were going to do Doctor Who audios and I was the new Doctor. And that was back in 2003, so that was ten years ago and uh... you know I got to work on the script um... the the lady who was going to produce it um... you know she uh... she had great plans for it, she started mixing bits of it uh... she cast it but uh... you know various issues and personal issues got in the way and unfortunately it basically sat for about ten months um and Eric and I were getting kind of, kind of jittery and, and you know anxious about this wondering when are we gonna finally release this we, we wanted to hear this in its entirety and it was also the, the first script that I had written, it was like 72 pages long so um, what Eric was finally able to do was uh, get, get he uh, got a hold of the script, he got a hold of the files from uh, you know the lady in charge of quantum realities and uh, over the course of literally a few days and this was very early on in his mixing career put it together and uh, shortly thereafter we had the debut of Brave White North my very first Doctor Who audio adventure and uh, off we went from there that said uh, as kind of a uh, uh, a special treat uh, for everybody out there who has followed uh, my portrayal of the doctor all of these years, uh, I have uh, dug into my personal archives and have actually excavated the uh, the original file that Eric Bosby of Darker Projects Productions uh, put together back in 2003 uh of me as the doctor and frobisher my uh, audition tape as it were and uh he would like to play that for you uh in honor of this amazing 50th anniversary of doctor who so uh i guess without further ado stevie if you'd like to roll the footage and here we go Frobisher, come along. we are going to be late. Wait? Wait for what? You haven't even told me why we're here. Come to think of it, just where is here? No idea. There's no record of this world in the TARDIS databanks. No record, eh? This isn't some clever skin you concocted to cover up the TARDIS
1: going batty again, is it?
0: Batty? Batty? Frobisher, I'm hurt. To believe I would stoop so low.
1: Give it a rest, Doc, or I'll have to break out a violin.
0: Oh, very well. But to answer your question, no. There's just no record of this planet in the TARDIS. Before we received that signal with those coordinates, I had no idea there was anything out here. This coming from a seasoned traveler. Frobisher, if I knew every nook and cranny throughout creation, there would be no surprises left to find.
1: Whatever. But just why are we here, Doc?
0: Because of what was in the message just one word. Unit. And the coordinates to get here. And it's Dr. Frobisher. Please refrain from calling me Doc. Thank you very much.
1: Whatever, Doc. (sighs)
0: So there you have it. Ten years later, now we can see where it all began. (laughs) My my own first adventure in time and space.
1: And, um, you know, just, just for the record, um, when I started producing um, and directing Broken Sage Doctor Who, I was already a fan of Max Doctor, <laughs> and and so it was quite a thrill for me to, to get to produce such a fine actor in the role. Um, and not only that, but the scripts have all been pretty much, you know, really, really well written, and um, I've gotten to... Work with some incredible people over the last few years since I've been producing. In fact, um, it's just been a bit of a roller coaster ride, and what a fantastic way uh, to spend a few hours each evening. <laughs> um,
0: it's been it's been a lot of fun, and there have been a lot of people who have participated uh, in this show over the last ten years to to put it where it was from this this little almost accidental uh, fan audio out of nowhere to a show that was literally about to get cancelled and then to its, its rise back up to to a point where uh, like two years ago we won the Julius K Vogel Award for, uh, for Best Fan Production down in New Zealand and awesome. uh, you know to where we are today so um, you know certainly right now you know, I, I want to thank all the people who, who have kept this, this show alive and, you know, all the writers we've had, you know, the producers, uh, I want to thank Eric and Stevie, uh, Stephen J. Cohen, certainly, Paul Mannering, uh, Bill Hallweg, uh David Sapkoyak, uh all my companions over the years, uh, Crystal and Shire and Laura and Adriana, David of course, and uh, you know our wonderful Robin Carlisle who, uh, who is my current companion. Um, really all you guys have, have all added such amazing parts of yourself. Um, uh, Mark Brzee, let me not forget Mark as well, who also uh, started the George character. Uh, all you guys just have have given a part of yourself to not only the show that we've got running now but to Doctor Who lore in particular uh, here in the fan world so thank you all for all you've done over these years
1: and thanks from me also as well Um, I couldn't have put that better myself Mark that was really well put my friend Um, and I think um, it's just been incredible the the rollercoaster ride I've had certainly over the last four years five years it's just been absolutely astonishing you know like I said um, I've had you know I've I mean I've personally gotten to work with ex-members of the Radiophonic workshop you know which just blows me away (laughs) yeah I mean
0: oh absolutely we have to we have to to take a moment obviously uh, for sincere thanks to the wonderful Jay Ellington Lee for his help and on, on his collaboration with you on creating our present wonderful Doctor Who theme. Well,
1: that, that was kind of a dream come true for me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just one of those amazing things that I, I dreamed about for 20 years and never thought it would ever happen, and it did. Yeah, It's just one of those incredible things. Uh, you can't. It is amazing. It is. And uh, so, I mean, what has playing the Doctor meant to you?
0: Oh boy. You know, you hear, you hear a lot of people say, oh, this is the role of a lifetime. This is a dream come true. And, you know, not, not to sound, uh, sound Maudlin or sappy or anything, but in a lot of ways, yes, it, it has been. Uh, I've played a number of roles in the audio world over the last uh... eleven years uh... and along with my star trek character commander back doctor who that's that's the role that i'm also well known for and um... you know it's become it's a part of me everybody who plays doctor who you know you become a part of it and it becomes a part of you and there's no Turning back, any doctor, any actor who's ever played Doctor Who, I think even on a fan level, something changes. There, there is a connection made that you can't turn back, and you, you are irrevocably linked forever with it. I've got people who, who, who still, you know, on Facebook and elsewhere, you know, they'll send me emails, they'll talk to me, they'll call me Doctor, and I get such a kick out of that. So I kind of understand, like, where Tom Baker. This coming from, like you mentioned earlier, that uh, you know people people will tell me, hey, you know, Doc, great, loved your last show. When's the next one? You know, uh, could you send me an autographed picture? Awesome, <laughs> I totally love that. You know, the feedback that that uh, that we get from time to time from from listeners out there that means the world. It really, really does, you know, we we produce these shows free of charge, we do it because we love the medium, we love the show, and really that's the only payment that we get is the feedback from the people out there, letting us know that they like it, that they still want to see more, that it has some kind of meaning for them, you know. And uh and that's that's a big reason why we keep doing it. And uh you know, I think it's it's that heart, the heart of the fans that has kept this show going for fifty years.
1: I think so too. Um it people have warmed to Doctor Who in ways that they've never warmed to other shows. And Again, like I said, it's, it's down to the it's, it's, all, it's down to a lot of different factors you know from the fans' love to the, um, you know to the actors that have been involved to the writers, the sound effects people, the special effects people you, to the musicians as well you know um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a factor of all of those things coming into play that have created one of the most special shows the world's ever seen, quite frankly yeah. Um, I absolutely it, it's for me it's become such a part of my life now but it, it's kind of hard to even think of a life of um, it, it's kind of it's hard for me to even imagine life without Doctor Who I know that yeah. sounds um, a bit mad but it's just been such a huge part of my life I mean I've been watching it since I was four years old you know and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm 43 now so I've watched Doctor Who for you know f- near enough 40 years Uh, And that is, it's always been there, it's been this like constant throughout my life sort of thing. And it's
0: even, you know, it's it's even wilder from where I'm sitting too, Mm -hmm. because in in its own way it's become, it's gone full circle for me, from my dad waking me up from my nap Mm -hmm. to watch this show, to watching the show myself, going to the conventions, meeting the doctors, you know, I, I have, at this point, I've met all of the classic doctors except for William Hartnell. From Trouton through McGann, I've met them all, and they've all been absolutely marvelous people. And now, to get to this point here in 2013, you know, well, actually 2003, when I became, in, in my own strange little way, the doctor, one of the incarnations, one of the many... Um, interdimensional offshoots of this amazing character,
1: and I think you've done a stand-up job as well. Um, Thank you. It's, it's um, as I said uh, long before I began producing and directing. broken can say, sure, i heard your doctor before, and was already a fan. Um, so I was, I was a fan foremost, first and foremost, and, and then. To get the gig of actually producing you, I can't actually imagine producing anybody else in the role. It's as simple as that. It, it's sort of very, very difficult for me to even imagine not having the Mark the voice and the expression that you, you have. You know, it's, it's kind of very, very unusual uh, and uh, something that I'm thrilled at bits for being able to do uh, and will continue to do as well uh little while well longer.
0: It's been an amazing ride and uh, you know certainly the, the stuff that we've produced at Broken Sea has has been astounding. you know there's been a bunch of stuff that, that we've been able to do and you know I know we've got some other other episodes we've got new shows and ideas that are still on deck yet to do of course before this adventure ultimately ends someday and, uh, you know, we've got, we've got a great relationship, certainly you, Paul Mannering, me, what, uh, what we've been doing. It's, it's been a pretty magical little formula that we've been able to, uh, to concoct here.
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, we, we certainly have a very, very close-knit um, working relationship. We're also very close friends as well, off the show, oh. you know. I mean, um, most of our listeners won't be aware of this, but... Um, we've been recording now for an hour and 36 minutes however Mac and I have been chatting on Skype for 7 hours and 19 minutes (laughs) (laughs) so basically as I said we're friends off (laughs) off the airwaves so to speak as well you know it's just one of them things Uh, and I've built up some of the closest friendships I've ever had in my life on this show you know so it's meant so much to me, Broken Sea has meant much to me, almost as much as the actual, uh, Doctor Who legacy itself, you know, from the TV show and such yeah. like and, uh, one of the coolest things was that, uh, my youngest son Josh, um, he actually, um, his doctor is David Tennant's doctor, I guess, and, um, <coughs> he's become such a huge fan of the show, um, He he absolutely adores Doctor Who, and he loves your doctor as well, Mark, you know. And then, um, so one of the biggest thrills for me was, you know, coming full circle here from when I was four years old, just first discovered John Pertwee's doctor, I've now actually been able to put my own son on the show as well. So kind of coming full circle here, you know, there's another generation of Farnabees enjoying Doctor Who, and I suspect... There'll be another generation again, along and another oh, yeah. one, and another one, and another one. As long as there's a Doctor Who around, though, I reckon there'll be fine if he's watching it.
0: <laughs> well, certainly, it seems that uh, the stage has been set mm-hmm. for many, many, many more years of, of Doctor Who. So, you know, it's it's good we got our bases covered on Farnabies. Well, I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, it was just great fun as well, sort of recording with Josh on that particular. Yeah, episode. The
0: boy's got skills. He, he was very good,
1: and he's he's so natural as well. Um, yeah, he, uh, you know, as I was telling you earlier, this this before you know, probably this was before we actually started recording. Um, as, you, as I've you know, already mentioned, we've been talking for a very long time. <laughs> boy, let me tell you, you should be glad that we didn't turn
0: the record button on sooner. Otherwise, you would have had this just insanely long show that you could yeah. have probably spread over a week.
1: Well, let's put it one way. We were well warmed up <laughs> when oh. we started recording. In various ways. Um, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, br- <laughs> the cognac helped. <laughs> <laughs> and the whiskey. Yeah, the whiskey. Um, yeah, No, um, as I was saying to Mark earlier before we started recording, uh, when I got Josh along, um, because with him only being so young, um, I didn't want to pressure him too much, so I said, um, we'll just record a few lines at a time each day over a series of about a week, and um, he took to it like a duck to water, um, so much so that he'd, um, he'd actually recorded the entire script within the space of an hour. Um, including his death scene which is very very difficult for anybody to pull off Um, or pull off well and he'd actually recorded the whole lot, the entire script within the space of an hour and that's with a number of takes for each line as well and so he was so easy to to work with you know people say sometimes don't work with animals or children you know and Josh was very different he was uh, so brilliant to work with. It's like I could give him directions and he would just instantly know what I wanted. And it was just incredible. It was actually easy to work with than many, many adult professional voice actors that I've worked with. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And of course, I don't want to include you in that one, Mike, of course. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> In it's actually... Yeah. I try not to be too difficult. <laughs> no, you're very easy. to you No. Know. You see, the thing is, is that... Um, yeah, I want to keep
0: you happy so you'll keep, you know, doing <laughs> the mixing on my stuff so I don't fade away into obscurity.
1: Yeah, well, the thing is, is that... Um, yeah, I, I, I guess the thing is, is that um, uh, working with Mark and directing Mark, he actually wants the direction... And he actually, if you ask him to try and do, you know, this is from a director's point of view. If you ask Matt to try something slightly differently, he will a hundred percent of the time give it a go. It's just one of them things, you know. He kind of likes the direction. To,
0: yeah. Um, I get nervous. You know, I've gotten nervous over the
1: years with some of the
0: roles I've played, mm-hmm. where I'd send in my lines, mm-hmm. and the, you know, I wouldn't hear anything until the show gets released. Right. So, you know. I'm thinking, okay, I, I I guess I did it right, but, uh, you know, I never quite know, and, you know, part of me worries, you know, did I just get it right? Do you just not want me to uh, to do it another way? Are you afraid to ask me for something? Do you not have time? I don't know. So, uh, you know, I like to try to think on the positive side that I guess I did it right, because, uh, you know, one of the things that, that people don't necessarily know out there. You know, a lot of the producers, when I will send the lines in, um, I've basically got one file that's got all my lines for the show, and it's just like, okay, cut and paste, balance, done. Uh what a, you know, and, and a lot of the producers have been so amazed by this. Oh my God, you know, you just sent us the this just what this great, excellent take. But what a lot of them don't know, and uh you know, much as I, I hate to uh Reveal the secret behind the trick is there are a lot of lines I've done three, four, five, 10, 12 times and just sent the best take in. So I've I've just, you know, cut out all the garbage that I've botched up and the flubs and the bloopers and all of that stuff. I just, you know, I don't want to bother you guys with that. Just get to producing, you've got a lot to do. You know, let me send you the best stuff I've got so we can move along.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the other side of it as well is, um, certainly on this show, um, there is nobody knows the Mark Kalita Doctor like Mark Kalita, and so, hmm. basically, um, there's occasional moments where Mark will wander off the script, and will <laughs> actually do the most wonderful ad libs, you know, and there's the sort of 99% of the time I'll use them, because they're all good. You know, and that's that's another thing I've really come to appreciate as well is uh, these sort of like mad ad that you do from time to time which sort of are um, absolutely within keeping for your doctor because let's face it, nobody knows your doctor like you do um, mm-hmm. and and they're just some of them are wacky and eccentric and other times you'll get to you know, maybe it's just been a little bit more angry than the script had kind of gotten you to be And and, and things like that, oh, you've tried something in a slightly different way. You know, and I kind of dig that, because you've got a choice as a director, you've got a choice of different things you can pick and choose from.
0: The character itself is just so multi-dimensional. I mean, not only have you had literally these physical incarnations of it, each with their own personality, you know, so there's this just gigantic range of, of... ways that scenes can be played and stuff you can draw from and uh you know while we've had a lot of marvelous scripts that have come our way like stevie said you know there are just these certain situations where you know i, I envision a character in it and uh you know being supposed so to linked with it it's just natural to think, okay, well, what really would he say or be thinking or do in this situation? Uh-huh. And uh, I'm very grateful that, uh, you know, between Stevie and Paul or, you know, some of the other uh, guys who've written for the show, that they've been kind enough to uh, to be really cool with those ad-libs that I've thrown in.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things, one of the ones that I remember uh, was... Um... <laughs> Oh, I can't for the life of me remember the name of the story, though. No. Um, from the Inside, that was it. It was one of the parts of From the Inside. And I remember um, there was a sequence in there where uh, somebody had been electrocuted to death, basically. Uh-huh. And they were going to put your doctor on the table. Yes. To do exactly the same thing. And uh-huh. I'm thinking, I mean, on, in the script, um... There wasn't anything about the doctor putting up a fight. Now I'm thinking to myself, as a director and as a producer, that uh, you know ultimately the doctor wouldn't give up without a fight. He wouldn't just go willingly, um, and it certainly wasn't going to be an easy, comfortable experience either. You know, and so I remember sort of um, jotting you an email across, asking you if you could maybe do some screaming or something like that. You know, <laughs> kind of yeah. underneath the electric yeah. sounds. And he came back with this wonderful sort of two and a half minute long ad-lib, it wasn't just screaming, it was, you know, and so if you listen to From the Inside folks, um, you'll hear this amazing sort of two and a half minute long ad-lib, or or at least sections of it anyway. Um, And and it's, it's really, really cool stuff, you know, and that was something that I really appreciated when I put that episode together, because it made that scene work so much better than it it would have done if it was just recorded as per the the, the script, you know. And there's there's times when I wander off the script as well as a producer. In fact, I'm kind of well known for wandering off the script.
0: (laughs) Often that's some of the best stuff happens when when the teams wander off script.
1: Yeah, but obviously, I mean, whenever any of us do it, we're always kind of fairly um, respectful of the material. You know, it's, uh-huh. always, it's always done within the, the framework of the storyline, you know, so you don't wander off too far, you know. Right. I mean, a good example yeah. of which would be in um, East of the Sun. Okay. Um, the section where a group walks into the bar and terrorises the people in the bar. and um, as a producer and a director I came up with this idea of Groot actually walking across the bar, climbing up up to the bar and kicking all the glasses off the bar as he was threatening people and I mean, Mm -hmm. clearly that wasn't in the script, so that was just an extra bit that I put in there that I thought would work really well with that scene and we've all seen it in classic cowboy films, you know, and I think that that would really work in that scene And I could
0: totally visualise that when I was listening to it Yeah, it was great
1: uh, Oh, thanks very much. I mean, it, it, what was fun about it was the fact that he kicks them left and right, so you can hear the glasses shooting off to the left, through the left speaker and sort the right speaker, so you can hear him <laughs> kicking them off in all sorts of different directions, which I kind of thought was, it was just a fun thing to be able to do. But that, that's the type of thing I'm talking about, folks, you know, I mean, we don't wander off the script so far that it, it destroys the original subject matter. You know, we're very faithful to the, the scripts that people write for us, you know particularly, um, you know, with Paul and um, Steven's works, you know, that came before Paul, you know, we were you know, very, very respectful of those scripts. Occasionally, mm-hmm. something bad happens and you just get this like, kind of, I guess you just, your creative juices flow and you think, actually, you know, wow, you know, let's do this. You know, yeah, so <laughs> even when we get, we get kind of weird,
0: it's ultimately for the greater good.
1: Yeah, definitely, yeah. So, I mean, it can, it can really lift up the same just the yeah. bad lip here and there. So, anyhow, on that uh, on that note, um, happy fiftieth, everybody!
0: <laughs> absolutely. These two hundred fifty more. Absolutely, that's it. You know, <laughs> it's been an amazing adventure through time and space, and uh, hopefully, will continue to be so for a very long time to come. Um, Thanks for being along for the ride and, uh, in some ways, thank you for each and every one of you being a companion in your own right.